We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome, Irish fans, to another edition of the Opponents Insider Podcast. I am your host, Vince D'Addario, and I am the football analyst here at Irish Breakdown. Notre Dame is coming off um, a shaky 12-7 win over Louisville on Saturday, and you can find all that coverage over on irishbreakdown.com, as well as our breakdown podcast that was published on Monday, so make sure you stay locked in with us for all that information. But today, we are going to talk about the next game on the Irish schedule, which happens to be the first road game of the season, which is very strange to say since it's going to be played on October 24th. But uh, the Irish will be taking on the 3-3 three three Pitt Panthers over at Heinz Field. It is a 3.30 kickoff in Pittsburgh, and I believe that game is going to be on ABC. Brian Driscoll, the publisher at Irish Breakdown, will be making that trip out to Pitt so make sure you stay uh, logged in and stay uh, locked in to irishbreakdown.com prior to, during, and after the game for all the updates and analysis. But uh, with me today to talk about the Panthers of Pitt is Chris Peak of pantherlair.com. Chris, how are you doing today, sir? I'm great. How are you doing, Vince? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, to get, I would say, the first real test for this Notre Dame team uh, in the Pitt Panthers. I you know, up to this point, it's great that Notre Dame is undefeated. Obviously, they struggled uh, against Louisville, but I think, you know, overall, Pitt is going to be the first real test defensively for Notre Dame. So that that's kind of exciting, actually, uh, from a Notre Dame standpoint. But uh, I, I wanted to get from you kind of off the top here, the state of the program with Pitt. We know they've got a great front seven on defense. They actually put up 
pretty good numbers offensively last season. They just couldn't get into the end zone, it seemed like. So what were your thoughts coming into the season for Pittsburgh and, and kind of maybe your thoughts now and if they've changed at all? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say that it's been anything other than a disappointment so far. You know, they opened the year 3-0, they beat Austin P, and they beat Syracuse, and they beat Louisville. And then they had back-to-back one-point losses against NC State and Boston College, and then they lost uh, at Miami last week. You know, a game where they got into the red zone five times and scored one touchdown. I mean, that's yeah. it's hard to do. No matter how good your defense is playing, it's hard to win a game when you only get one touchdown on five red zone trips. <laughs> uh, they really, I mean, they, they they did a lot of things right against Miami. They just couldn't come out with a win. And the problem now is, you know, this was generally considered to be Pat Narduzzi's best team. You know, he's coming off an eight and five season last year. Some some questionable losses, but overall, you know, they had a really good defense last year. They returned a lot of those guys. They had a few guys who could have gone to the NFL who opted to come back and he said okay you know the defense is going to be really good again they've got Kenny Pickett as a third year starter and they've got a bunch of veteran guys coming back on offense that unit should improve this should be you know kind of the the make it year for Narduzzi in year six Uh, you know this is where it all is going to come together and you know, when they changed the schedule in the ACC, it got a little more challenging. They, you know, lost games against Virginia and Duke and added a trip to Clemson. So, you know, congratulations on that. <laughs> that didn't exactly work out in Pitt's favor. Yeah. Um, you know, so that, you know, that that changed things up a little bit. But you still thought, OK, this is a talented team. This, this is a good Pitt team. Again, one of the best Pitt teams maybe in the last decade. They should go out and have some success. And, to, you know, it, the expectation was coming into this Notre Dame game, Pitt would be at worst maybe five and one. You know, maybe sure. worst case scenario four and two. Three and three is is not necessarily a nuclear option, but it's about as bad as it could get. I mean, you really it's it's pretty unacceptable. And I think Pitt fans are largely disappointed. I'm sure the Pitt coaches and Pitt players are disappointed about having a three-game losing streak. But I mean, you know, as as you well know, when a when a college football coach or any football coach gets into year six. And they're still not – they don't appear to be getting over the hump, which a three-game losing streak and a 3-3 three and three record, you're not over the hump no matter what happens in the final five yeah. games. Um, it, it, disappointment becomes the, the sort of dominant emotion, and that's kind of where Pitt fans are right now. A lot of them you know, sort of throwing their hands up. They're frustrated uh, with Narduzzi. He's had some bad losses in each of the last two seasons, which is not a trend you want developing in year four and year five and year six for a head coach. Um, and, you know, and, and to, to lose the games they've lost this season with some questionable in-game decisions, uh, it's it, it's a rough patch right now. Now, obviously, if you could beat Notre Dame, everybody's going to feel a lot better. <laughs> but even then, I don't know if it's going to take away the sting of losing these last three games. I mean, you, you, you have to wear that. You know, you're not going to erase those losses. And so it's it's not that it's, it would be bittersweet if Pitt beat Notre Dame. Fans would certainly be happy. They have an off week after that. So I think they would, you know, carry two weeks of happiness. But there's still going to be a little bit of, um, you know, remorse and disappointment that they lost to Boston College and NC State and, and Miami. So it's a it's a tricky spot right now for this program. And and I'm, I don't want to say they're, they're at a crossroads or anything like that, but they're they're in a tough spot. And, and, and some fans are, are really questioning whether Narduzzi is the guy. Uh, okay, so you kind of led me into my next question. I, I, are fans kind of turning on Narduzzi, or do they think that, okay, he might be the right fit, but maybe they need to make changes on the staff, or, you know, is, is he doing a good job on the recruiting trail? I mean, how are, are fans starting to turn on the head coach at this point? 
Yeah, they are, because ultimately that that's where the accountability falls. He's had four offensive coordinators in six years. You know, Jim Chaney was his first year. He left uh, to go to Georgia. So he brought in Matt Canada, had a lot of success, averaged 40 yeah. some points per game. He left and went to LSU and bombed out there. He brings in Sean Watson and they have, you know, in 2017 and 18, um, that's the second of those two years. They had 2000 yard rushers. They were great at running ball, but they couldn't throw the ball to save their lives. So he brings in Mark Whipple after that last season. Um, and Whipple's been here for two years. They threw the ball a million times last year, couldn't run it to save their lives. <laughs> and that's kind of where they're at right now. Their red zone offense is putrid. They, they they can't score. Like I just said about the Miami game, I mean, that's sort of what it's been for the last 19 games with Mark Whipple as the offensive coordinator. And ultimately, I think what, what fans feel is that, you know, at some point, it comes back on the head coach. You know what I mean? At some point, it, it, you can only talk about the coordinators or the assistants or the players when ultimately it becomes it's your program. And your program is the one that's struggling on offense. Your program is the one that's committing you know more penalties in year four and five and six than you did in year one, two, and three. Um, your program is the one that you know lost to North Carolina two years ago when North Carolina only won two games. Lost to Stanford in a bowl game two years ago when Stanford had half its team sitting out due to injury. You know, lost to Boston College in Miami last year. Two teams that finished the season with six wins, um, and now lost to Boston College and NC State this year. Your team is the one that's that's falling short in all these regards. And so, yeah, I mean, the Pitt fans want Mark Whipple, the offensive coordinator, to be fired. They want a midseason change, which wow. I think is highly unlikely yeah. to happen. I mean, you you just don't see that very often but uh, they, they definitely want that but I think there is a, a pretty significant percentage that are you know genuinely questioning Narduzzi or have gone completely to that side and, and said you know they need a new head coach and sort of bemoaning the fact that due to this pandemic and, and the impact it's had on college athletic revenues that it's unlikely you'll make a coaching change this sure. year I think so it's um like I say I mean it's it's rough times right now and uh, you know that's that's sort of where the program is and where the fans are with it they're not happy yeah I well I can imagine I I wanted to ask you a little bit about the team itself as, as far as you know that first loss was that overtime loss to Boston College on the missed extra point I mean what a heartbreaking way to lose that game and do you, do you think that there was a bit of a hangover going into the next. Because I think you can explain away a little bit to Miami. Now, you said the red zone issues, you score a couple touchdowns there, it's probably a different game. Uh, but do you think there was a hangover going from that loss to Boston College into the NC State game at all? Uh, not so much, because it, it, it was really, I, I mean, the, I don't know. Like, that game, they had no one to blame but themselves. You know, sure. they, they, they get into overtime they needed a 58-yard field goal just to get to overtime. Unbelievable kick, and, by the way. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was a great kick after <laughs> he missed two field goals earlier in the game. Right. And, of course, the next the next time he comes on the field, he pushes one oh. wide right on an extra point. It's 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 a deflating loss, but this team, you know, just like the NC State game the week before where, you know, they had a chance to maybe push it to overtime if a guy catches a two-point conversion and said he dropped it and all this stuff. I, I mean, you play these games close, you put yourself in a position to lose on something like that. You know, if you yeah. can't put teams away, then, yeah, a missed extra point or a bad penalty or, you know, a turnover at an inopportune time or, or you know, just a bad call or what have you. I mean, these things, you, you make yourself vulnerable to being sunk by these things if you can't put teams away, if you can't score. And, I mean, the Boston College game, they had plenty of opportunities to score more touchdowns. You know, they, they just they self-inflicted errors, dropped passes, procedure penalties. 
just generally dumb plays, which has become a trend for this pit team, which is the problem. And so, sure. uh, you know, getting sidetracked from your question, I mean, back, <laughs> you know, were, did they have a hangover? I don't think so because, you know, you don't have any right to be hungover on that. Sure. You can't be deflated by that loss. You created that loss. You put yourself in a position where a missed extra point in overtime could cost you the game. So if you don't want to feel like that after the game, do a better job in regulation. You know, you, you, they, they committed just mistake after mistake, and they had some calls go against them. There were two reviewed fumbles in the red zone, um, you know, Boston College fumbles, and both were, you know, one was overturned to be, you know, Boston College maintaining possession, and one was ruled uh, down by contact on the field and confirmed on review, and both could have turned into fumbles for Pitt. I mean, but you're going to have some of those things. You have to sure. find a way to... Uh, you have to find a way to put teams away. You have to find a way to score points. And, and that's what this team has struggled with. And so they leave themselves vulnerable to it. You know, they beat Louisville um, in the third game of the season. It was a 23-20 game. I mean, you're you're playing with fire in those situations. Sure. And they did it all year last year. And um, it's going to catch up to you. And if you can't put NC State away, you can't put Boston College away, then you're going to leave yourself open to those things. So, I mean, they have no one to blame but themselves. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't – I don't think they had a hangover when they went down to Miami. I think they, they came into it with the same energy they had against the, the previous two teams. They just, you know, once again failed to execute. Well, let's let's kind of jump into that a little bit. Failing to execute. You had all those those opportunities in the red zone. Couldn't get it into the end zone. Kenny Pickett didn't play in that game. He was having a pretty decent season up to that point, completing 60% of his passes, eight touchdowns, three interceptions. Uh, not a bad line. So, you know, they go to their backup. Joey Yellen uh, throws for 49% uh, in that game. But he had almost 300 yards, had a touchdown, no interceptions. So um, what is the status of Kenny Pickett coming into the Notre Dame game that you guys are aware of? Because I think that kind of changes the dynamic of the offense just a little bit. Yeah, it's it's different with um you know different with Yellen and Pickett. They're different players. Sure. Obviously, Pat Narduzzi's not giving anything up. He wants to play uh play the gamesmanship and all that. I don't expect to see Kenny Pickett until you know two weeks from now. Like I say, they have an off week after Notre Dame, yeah. and then they go to Florida State. I would imagine that's the, the next time we'll see Kenny Pickett, or that would be the earliest time we'll see him. I don't think he's going to play this weekend. I think it'll be Yellen again. Um, the biggest difference between the two, I mean, aside from experience is uh, mobility. Kenny Pickett can run around a little bit. He's actually the second leading rusher on the team, not necessarily by design runs, but that's actually more a reflection of just how poor their rushing offense is. Sure. Uh, but he's got five rushing touchdowns. He can make plays with his feet. When the play breaks down, when the pocket collapses, he can get out and run around and, and kind of take advantage of, you know, if everybody's looking downfield, he can sneak out for seven, eight, 10, 12 yards and, and, and move the chains that way. That's sort of the biggest difference. Yellen is not that mobile. But he was, you know, despite the, you know, like you say, about 50%, you know, less than 50% completion rate at uh, Miami, he actually, he looked pretty good, you know, for a guy making his first career start and playing on the road. He, he moved around a little bit, not looking to scramble, but just to extend the play, kind of shuffling out of the pocket, move around in the pocket, keeping his eyes downfield and letting guys get open. And, and he did a good job with that. He had nice touch on his passes. Some of his passes looked like they had a better touch than, than some of Kenny Pickett's passes, to be kind of quite honest. And so he's a really intriguing guy, a transfer from Arizona State. Right. He played uh, played at Arizona State as a true freshman last year, made one start, and that was against USC. He threw four touchdown passes, a couple of interceptions as well. Uh, but, you know, for a first career start playing against USC, they lost the game. But he, you know, I think acquitted himself nicely. And I think this past week for, you know, getting thrown into the fire uh, for his first pit start, uh, I, I think he did well. And I, I'm really interested to see how he does this week after a week of, 
you know, actually getting that first start and, and getting that first playing time and reviewing the film and kind of building on it. I'm really intrigued to see what he does with this offense um, this week. I, I, I think there's some, you know, Kenny Pickett's senior, so you're starting to think about the future a little bit. And I think Yellen gives him a really interesting option, uh, you know, for next year and beyond. So uh, in this game, it, you know, I was going to ask you about uh, Yellen's targets uh, in the past game. It appears that uh, Jordan Addison is the number one target. He's by far leads a number of receptions, yards, touchdowns, uh, all, all of the above, basically. He's the leading <laughs> guy. Uh, besides Addison, and you can talk about Addison as well, but besides Addison, who should Irish fans be looking out for uh, when it comes to putting the ball in the air? Yeah, Addison's definitely the number one guy. He'll get a lot of uh, passes thrown his way. He's had a lot thrown his way already this season. He's he's there, like you say, he's their top target. I think he was actually, Notre Dame, I think, tried to push for him. He committed to Pitt over the summer before his senior year, and I think Notre Dame really pushed hard for him uh, late in the process, along with a few other schools, but he stuck with the Panthers, and you can see why he was highly coveted. I mean, he's, he's explosive, he's athletic, he's not the tallest guy, but he can he can move and use his body and, and really make things happen. Uh, the other guy, you know, I mean, there's they have other receivers on the team, but nobody's really stood out this season. Taysir Mack is uh, a redshirt senior, a returning guy who, who's played a lot over the last few years. His strength is really making contested catches downfield. Uh, if you float a ball to him, he can go up and and win those those you know sort of uh, combat catches or whatever they want to call him. He can win those <laughs> kinds of things uh, with with pretty good regularity. I think that's that's really his strength. Uh, they've got Shaki Jacques Louis, who's a junior, and he's more of a you know sometimes out of the slop, but more short yardage things and you know catch and run sweeps, those kinds of plays. DJ Turner, number seven, is a transfer from Maryland who uh, has exploded in a couple of games and he's been really quiet in some others. He can run some sweeps as well. He can get downfield. He's got some speed. I think overall it's a fast receiving core, uh, but it's still one that you know, has issues with drops. Um, I think Pitt as a team has 22 dropped passes this season, uh, according to Pro Football Focus. And that's that's a problem. And, and it's centered really on the receiving core. Those guys have to be more secure in what they're doing. Uh, but Addison leads the charge, and then they're going to get the ball to, to Mac and Jacques-Louis and, and DJ Turner. And then Jared Wayne's one other guy, a sophomore, who's a, a kind of the biggest target on the team, like tallest. Uh, and so the, they'll get the ball to him as well. Um, it, it's a good group. I think there's talent uh, in this um, wide receiver unit. They just they've got to be, do a better job at catching the ball, and they've got to get opportunities. You know, they don't always get the ball, you know, with a chance to use some of their speed and natural abilities and natural talents to to make plays. Well, that's one of the things you had mentioned on your podcast that I was listening to this morning is that there there's just been kind of an epidemic of drops uh, from <laughs> from this group. Does that that sound accurate? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, it was the case last year, too. Last year, the biggest problem was the tight ends. The tight ends did, had, had a major issue with drops. This year, they just haven't thrown to the tight ends as much. So yeah. they're, they're, they're throwing to the receivers a lot. And, and those guys are dropping passes. Uh, Chris Beatty, the, the pit wide receivers coach, said this week that, you know, yeah, they've dropped passes, but they're also getting a high volume of passes. Pitt throws the ball a ton. They're one of the top teams in the country in terms of pass attempts. So I guess it only stands the reason it's, it's a volume increase. Well, they're still dropping a pretty high percentage. There's something like 9, 10, maybe 11% or something of, of passes dropped. So it's Ooh. it's a problem. I mean, yeah. it, it's a major problem. They dropped at least one third down pass. I can think of off the top of my head in the game at Miami. 
um, you know, and, and, and it's, it's doomed them. It's caused them problems. Like I said, the NC state game, they had a chance to go to overtime. They drop a two point conversion, even Jordan Addison, he leads the team in drops as good as he's been. And he's made some pretty incredible catches. Uh, he's also had some issues with drops. So it's, uh, it, it, it's definitely a problem. I don't know how you solve it. I'm sure they're working on it, but <laughs> whatever they've done hasn't fixed it yet. Well, one stat that you dropped in your podcast that I want you to give to our listeners, uh, was the stat on tight ends scoring touchdowns. <laughs> I, I was blown. Now, granted, I follow Notre Dame, obviously. They touch, I mean, the tight ends are a huge part of their offense, or at least they need to be. Uh, but the stat that you dropped about the pit tight ends just blew my mind. Uh, you, go ahead and give that stat <laughs> yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, well, it, it's I, I noticed it because Daniel Morega, the, the tight end, the, uh, Pitt's tight end this year, caught a touchdown pass in the Miami game. And I was like, boy, I feel like that hasn't happened very much. <laughs> and it hasn't. You go back to 2016, they, get a, they had a guy, Scott Orndoff. He caught five touchdown passes that year. Since then, Morega's touchdown on Saturday was just the third touchdown catch by a pit tight end over the last four seasons um now now as someone pointed out to me i messed up they actually had a tight end catch a a tight end who lines up as their center on the field goal unit in a game at virginia tech in 2017 leaked out and caught a touchdown pass (laughs) on a special teams trick play so i don't know if that he was technically a tight end but he was also not really lined up at tight end so if that counts then i guess it would be four tight end touchdown catches over the last four seasons i'm going to say it doesn't count it makes a better stat if I just say it's three tight end touchdown catches over the last four seasons. Well, it's three out of the offense, right? So, I mean, I think that's accurate. Right, exactly. It's an offensive <laughs> touchdown. That was a special teams <laughs> trick play, not an offensive touchdown. That's right. That's right. Well, okay. So, you talked about the the run game in the past has not been great for Pitt. They've been throwing the ball all over the place. Right now, only averaging 107 yards per game. Now, granted, you're only giving up 61 and a half. So, I mean, that's that's pretty good too. Uh, we'll get to the defense in a second, but I, I want you to talk a little bit about the 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 run game. You know, Vincent Davis is the leading rusher uh, again by a lot. He's clearly the number one guy, or at least getting the most carries. Um, and and maybe kind of parlay that into what the offensive line looks like as well. Yeah, I mean, well, the offensive line is the problem. I mean, those guys just don't block very well. I mean, they they Pitt doesn't have you know Barry Sanders and Gale Sayers back there, but. Even with this offensive line, I think those guys, you know, Barry Sanders would have trouble because there just aren't holes to run through. I mean, they're, they're, there's just not much to work with. And so, I mean, you mentioned Vincent Davis. He's their leading receiver. He's averaging 2.8 yards per carry – or leading rusher, excuse me. He's averaging 2.8 yards per carry this year. In the game at Miami, he had nine rushing attempts for a net gain of zero yards. I mean, it's it, and that's their leading Whew. rusher. You know, AJ Davis uh, is a senior. He's got about 27 carries this year, the second most carries on the you know on the team among running backs at least. He's averaging less than four yards per carry. They have a freshman averaging less than four yards per carry. They have a redshirt junior named Todd Sibley who has 13 attempts. He's actually averaging better than four yards per carry. Yeah. But it's but the coaches just don't seem to trust him. They gave him the start in the Miami game. He rushed like four times for 23 yards and then never touched the ball again. So it's, huh. I don't know what's going on there. But, again, it's hard to get a real feel for who these backs are or what they can do when they're running behind this offensive line. For whatever reason, and it doesn't make any sense, for whatever reason, they're actually pretty decent at pass blocking. They, they've protected Kenny Pickett relatively well and Joey Yellen this past week. They gave him time in the pocket. But they cannot they cannot run block to save their lives. And it's, it's sort of the flip of 2018 when Pitt had two 1,000-yard rushers and they, they, could, they were just really good at running the ball. 
that team couldn't pass block to save its life. <laughs> uh, it just, it, you know, it, it, they, they're, they're, they're just one dimensional on offense. And, and a lot of it, maybe all of it stems from what that offensive line does. So, I mean, individual guys, Vincent Davis is, is a smaller, speedier back. If he can, if he actually has a hole to run through, he can turn it into a big gain because he's got that kind of speed. Um, the two fourth year players, AJ Davis and Todd Sibley are bigger backs, not a lot of speed. And then the freshman Israel Vanakanda um, didn't make the trip to Miami. It appears that he's dealing with some sort of injury issue. We'll see if he's available on Saturday. But he's really a mix of size and speed. Probably has the highest ceiling of any running back on Pitt's roster. Um, but again, if you don't block for those guys, it doesn't matter. They're not going right. to be able to get anything done. So the the biggest question is, can Pitt run block? And you know, this is 19 games in a row here where the answer has been sort of uh, resoundingly no. And I don't know why that would change in game number 20. So let, let's move over to the dominant side of the football for Pitt, and, and let's talk about their defense. I, you know, you said it on your podcast, and, and it's it's clearly the case. It's strength versus strength. It's Notre Dame's offensive line versus the front of Pitt, and what they're able to do. Sixty-one and a half yards is what they're allowing on the ground, which is which is unfathomable. I mean, that that is such a a, a minuscule number. Um, and and Notre Dame obviously runs the ball well, so that that's going to be the matchup to watch. Uh, kind of highlight some of the guys up front for uh, for Pitt, and I mean, there, I know there's a lot of guys there to highlight, but uh, you know, who should Irish fans be looking out for there? It might be getting in the backfield. Yeah, you definitely start with the two defensive ends, Rashad Weaver and Patrick Jones. They're both older players; they're redshirt seniors. Um, these guys have have played a lot of football at Pitt, and it both well. Uh, Jones was really good last season. Last year was supposed to be Rashad Weaver's sort of like breakout season uh, where he really took the lead and, and played himself into an NFL draft pick, but he got hurt in training camp, so he didn't play all last season. Now he's back and he's playing at a really high level. Patrick Jones, I think, leads the nation in sacks with seven, yeah. um, you know, talking about the pass rush, but, you know, those guys still make plays against the run. The interior is strong. They've got a bunch of guys that rotate at, at defensive tackle. And then, you know, the linebackers, I think, are really good at, at, at fitting the run as well. Stopping the run has always been the priority for Pat Narduzzi. Uh, even if you go back to Michigan State, they were always really good in their rush defense. Now, they sometimes overcommitted to it and left themselves vulnerable to, you know, play action passes and, and kind of the advent of RPOs over the last however many years, five to ten years, has definitely taken advantage of defensive schemes like Pitt's. And they've given up a lot in, in the passing game as a result. And that was even the case at Michigan State when they were really good. You know, 2014 was Narduzzi's last year at Michigan State. They played in the Cotton Bowl against Baylor, and for three three quarters of that game, Baylor just went up and down the field, just pass, 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 until you know Michigan State finally locked it down in the fourth quarter. But it, it's been the case with Pitt's defense over the last six years that you know certain styles of offense uh, that attack in certain ways can can have success and. Uh, but the, the, the goal always, and, and they've been pretty successful at it, has been stopping the run. So, I mean, you look at this season, like you say, 61 and a half yards per game on the ground. I think opponents have scored two rushing touchdowns all season, and, and they're averaging 30, you know, 30 plus rushing attempts per game. Now, you know, thanks to the NCAA, sacks count right. as part of that, and, yeah. and that's going to affect the yardage. But, I mean, overall, I can't really think of any team that's had sustained success running the ball. Little little spots here and there. Boston College was okay, and, you know, NC State hit a few runs. But, I mean, nobody has really had a lot of success running the ball against Pitt 
this season, and, and you could really extend it back over the past few years. Boston College with A.J. Dillon last year finally got it going in the latter part of the third quarter through the fourth quarter to put that game away. But overall, it's it's really it, it's been a strength of this defense. It's been the one thing that's sort of been consistent under Pat Narduzzi is they've stopped the run. So that's why I'm excited about this game. I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how, like you say, and you know, like I said, the, the, those strengths match up. We have the number seven rushing offense in the country, the number one rushing defense in the country. So I fully expect, you know, Brian Kelly to come out and run play action and RPOs and, and just take advantage of that Here's overcommitment. <laughs> yeah, take, take advantage of that overcommitment to stopping the run and, and just torch him with, uh, you know, about five or six tight end touchdowns. That would not be a surprise in the least. Well, let, let's move to the linebackers. I know that they are obviously very, very good against the run, but they also have to defend the pass a little bit. And if anybody watches Notre Dame games, that may not be all that difficult. But uh, talk a little bit about this linebacking core, and then we'll move into the secondary. Because I, I as I as I mentioned before, listening to your podcast, I know that uh, there are there's a few holes in the secondary. Yeah, it's a, you know they, they've had some injury issues in that back seven. Their their starting middle linebacker at the beginning of the season, Wendell Davis, got hurt in the second or third week I think during during practice and hasn't played in the last few games. So he's been replaced by a redshirt senior, Chase Pine, who has been okay. Uh, really, the strength of, of the linebackers are at outside linebacker. Their their starters, Phil Campbell and Cam Bright, plus. Um, their, their number two, uh, really their top reserve outside linebacker, Servasia Dennis, he's a sophomore. Uh, he's really been one of the, the pleasant surprises, number 32. He's been one of the um, surprises of the defense this year and the whole team, really, when you look at guys who have broken out and had sort of their, their you know, like I say, sort of a breakout campaign. He's been really good. He was the ACC linebacker the week, two weeks ago. Uh, he had like four and a half tackles for loss in the game at Boston College. So he's played really well. Like I say, their strengths are on the outside, at outside linebacker. Uh, middle linebacker has been a question mark. It's not really an impact position for Pitt, but those guys on the outside can play um, really well. Now, you can also put them in positions where, you know, using RPOs and using play action, you can suck them in and get a linebacker or get a running back behind them or get a tight end behind them. Miami was able to do both. And, uh, you know, obviously Boston College with Hunter Long, they have a very good tight end, one of the best in the country, and they were able to use him and and kind of win some matchups against Pitt's linebackers. And I'm, I'm sure Notre Dame will try to do that because, I mean, Pitt is going to match those guys up. It's going to take those matchups and, and roll the dice with it. Sure. As far as the secondary goes, you know, they came into this, this season with two seniors who were expected to be the starters, Jason Pinnock and, and Damari Mathis. Uh, Mathis got hurt uh, in training camp or just prior to training camp, and he was out for the season. So they've had to turn to a redshirt sophomore, Marquez Williams. Um, they've been just okay, but the thing with this defense and the way they play, the structure of it, is your corners are going to get beat if you don't get pressure on the quarterback. Um, there's there's not a lot of sort of safety help. Uh, it, it comes every now and then. They might drop into like a cover two or things like that, but they do a lot of press man coverage where, you know, we're going to disrupt you at the line of scrimmage. We're going to try and throw off the, time, the timing on your pass routes that way and then, uh, you know, hope the defensive line can get home and, and put pressure on the quarterback to, to cause an errant throw. That's the goal. And the way this whole defense is sort of structured, and, and it works. A lot of times it works. When it doesn't, you end up giving up some big pass plays, and it's happened in the past. Um, I think it probably, I think it happened in the Notre Dame game against Pitt uh, two years ago. I think Ian Book hit for a few of those key plays to, to sort of turn the tide of the game, and that was the case. Um, 
you know, this past weekend against Miami, although really what happened there is they had some coverage busts. And because of the way this defense is set up, when you have that coverage bust, guys end up standing all by themselves out there. And that usually turns into a big play. So, it, it, you know, they've got talented players. The safeties are, are, are pretty good. Paris Ford is a really hard-hitting boundary safety, plays in the box, stops the run, and uh, really lays some big hits on guys. He's also got a knack for interceptions. I think he has three picks this season. He's got a nose for the ball and great instincts. They're not terribly deep uh, in the secondary, so they haven't rotated as much, although they tried to correct that a little bit last week. Um, but, you know, overall, this this whole defense, particularly against the pass, it starts up front. It's all about what the defensive line can do if they can get pressure on the quarterback and if they can, uh, you know, throw off his timing, either get a sack or just get pressure and hit him a little bit and, and make him uh, a little bit nervous in the pocket. That's kind of what this whole thing is predicated on. And, and they'll blitz at times, but they really want... You know, particularly Jones and Weaver, the defensive ends, to win those battles up front one-on-one and get into the backfield. Well, yeah, that's going to be, uh, in theory, a a successful game plan against Notre Dame based on what we've seen (laughs) up to this point. So uh, the receivers have issues getting separation, and then when Ian Book gets flustered, he gets flustered. So um, I I would say that that's probably the game plan for Pitt going in. So we'll see what happens. But I think that's going to be a fun matchup to watch the entire game. And if... You know, if I'm a betting man, which I'm not, uh, but uh, if I was a betting man, I would say this is going to be a tight game, probably down to the wire. So uh, I, I just, it's it's going to be the offense versus the defense, you know, or I mean, Notre Dame's offense versus Pitt's defense. That's going to be how this game goes, and it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, and I mean, you, it, it, there's a history between these programs. And, oh, no doubt. You know, every, everybody, everybody says that about Notre Dame, right? Everybody says, well, our program has history with Notre Dame. But I mean, <laughs> you look at like, uh, you know, the last seven, eight games, there, there was the game in 2015. It wasn't really close. I think it ended up being like 42-30, but it, it wasn't all that close. But other than that, you've got like two overtime games, the overtime game in 08, the overtime game in 2012. Uh, you know, you've obviously got the game in 2018 where Pitt gave Notre Dame everything they could handle. Oh, Pitt yeah. won in 2013. I mean, there have been close games sort of year after year between these teams. It's never really been um, too much of a blowout. 2005, Charlie Weiss's first game and Dave Wanstead's first game, that that didn't go so hot for Pitt. That, uh, that was a, a pretty uh, <laughs> thorough uh, butt whooping, but you know, kind of year after year when these teams face each other, they, they play some close ones and, and some exciting games. And, you know, I would imagine this is going to be the same. I, I don't see either offense as being all, you know, particularly high powered. So I don't see anybody blowing this one out. It's going to be a, 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 another close one. I would think that's going to go down to the wire. Well, and the other thing is, and um, is they have, they have a, a history of just playing each other for so long. I mean, you know, I know that Notre Dame has the, the ACC contract and all that, but they were playing Pitt well before I think that was established. They, they've, been, they've, they've had a relationship with Pitt for quite a while. At least it feels yeah. that way. Oh, no, no, absolutely. I mean, like, you could go back. I forget if they played in 2002, but I know they played in 2003, 4, 5, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 15, 18. I mean, you know, it, yeah. it, it, you know, when Notre Dame added the, the ACC, you know, sort of contract um, a few years ago, I think it actually cut out some Pitt-Notre yeah. Dame games. You know, Probably I think right. they had even more scheduled than they ended up with, but because, you know, Notre Dame had to rotate through the ACC, they, uh, they actually lost them. It, it is... I mean, it's not USC and it's not Michigan, but I mean, and it's not, you know, probably not even Navy, I guess you would say. But I mean, Pitt is up there probably in one of Notre Dame's top five or ten most played opponents. 
Um, and and they've they, they've got a history between them. And they played some some sort of you know classic games. At least I mean I guess for every team it's it's a classic game if you beat <laughs> Notre Dame, right? I mean like so yeah. Tyler Palco goes out there in 2004 and oh, beats Notre Dame game. with five touchdown passes. Says the f word on I NBC that. after the game. That was great. <laughs> you know yeah. Or, or Pitt in 2008 they have the four overtime game and all this stuff when the sprinklers came on during overtime and all the you know. Everybody has their Notre Dame memories, and everybody makes a big deal about it. But I think there is a fair amount of history between these two programs. No doubt. Well, but before uh, we we finish up, I, I want to I do want to touch on the special teams because uh, if anybody's watched a pit game, especially that Boston <laughs> College game, I mean, you know that Alex Kessman can hit from deep. He hit that fifty eight yarder to push it into overtime, and then miss the extra point, of course. So he's eleven of sixteen overall. So that's sixty eight point seven five percent. Um, obviously he had a bunch of field goals last week where of course Pitt fans would have more appreciated touchdowns, uh, but a bunch of field goals last week, he, he's a weapon for this offense. I mean, maybe they don't want to see as much of him as they have, but he's definitely a weapon. Yeah. And he's just been so hot and cold over the course of his career. I mean, he's made a lot from 50 plus. I mean, the kid has a big leg. He's made a lot of big kicks. Like we said, that 58 yard field goal and he's made five in a row now, but he missed two in a row before that. Before that, (laughs) he made six in a row. He missed three in a row before that, you know, and the missed extra point. I mean, it's, it's it's so inconsistent and you don't know you can't even base it on on distance oh this is 35 or this is 26 or this is 30 gonna gonna make that no Pitt fans <laughs> joke about it but it's it's kind of true you almost feel more confident when he lines up from like 52 yards than you do when he lines up from 32 yards i mean he's just he's all over the place um you know so yeah he he can be a weapon and, and certainly if you're not going to score touchdowns in the in the red zone you better have a kicker who can clean things up and he's been more or less reliable at doing that, but it's just, it's, it's inconsistent. I will say too, Pitt's punter is having a great season. Kirk Christodoulou, he's averaging 45 yards, um, you know, net yards per yeah. punt, um, you know, 26 punts. I'm just looking at the stats. Now he's put 11 of his 26 punts inside the 20, um, you know, 11 punts have been fair caught, but he's just, you know, particularly the last couple of weeks, he's been booming the ball, which again, if you have an offense that can't move the ball consistently, you have an offense that struggles to really get down the field and, you know, put put together drives like Pitt does. You got to play field position. You have to win the field position battle. Uh, if you have a big punter uh, and a guy who can really, you know, get the ball down and, and pin the other team back, that that can that can play huge. Especially if you're going to go against, uh, you know, an offense that likes to run it as much as Notre Dame does. You know, make them go far. Don't, oh, yeah. don't give them short fields. Don't give them a 40 yard field. Make them go 70 or 80 if you can. So that's. That, that could be a key element in, in this game as well. And, and like I say, I mean, Pitt needs all the help they can get. So that, you know, punter included. Well, and speaking of all the help they can get, I just want to touch on DJ Turner. Uh, he's pr- the primary return man on both punts and kickoffs. And his averages are not bad. He's averaging almost 14 yards uh, a punt return, uh, which is pretty darn good, and over 20 yards on kickoff return. So uh, he could be pretty dangerous when he gets the ball in his hands. Yeah, he's a good player. He's he's an explosive guy. Like I say, he was a transfer from Maryland who came in uh, really late add to Pitt's roster, and I wasn't sure what he was going to contribute, but he's shown some real promise, and, and he's sort of one of these guys that when you watch him return punts, he's had a few that you said, you know, there was a 25-yard return that he had, and he's had a couple other where 
decent and you say, boy, he's he's one block away from really kind of breaking something, which so, you know, keeping up with our sort of our theme here of like, you know, Pitt's offense is not good enough to really carry the load. They need every bit of help they can get. I mean, that's that's another area you look at. If you can get something big, either, you know, flip field position through a, a big punt or get very positive field position out of a good punt return or maybe even get points out of a punt return. I mean, that would be huge uh, for an offense. So, like I say, needs all the help they can get. So you've kind of mentioned a few, I think, uh, throughout our conversation here, but uh, why don't you give me a couple of keys to a pit win over at Heinz Field this weekend over Notre Dame? Uh, I mean, they got to stop the run. You know what I mean? You, you can't yeah. let uh, Notre Dame run it. That's what Notre Dame wants to do. But also don't leave yourself vulnerable to the pass. You, you got to um, stop the run, but you have to be smart and, and, and you know read your keys and fits and all those different things that coaches like to talk about. Uh, and then you have to score from the red zone. I mean, if you if you get into the red zone, you need to get touchdowns. You yeah. can't just settle for three every time. It, it's not good enough. I mean, I know Notre Dame's coming off a 12-7 game, but you can't expect to go out and score 13 and win. You know, you've got to be able to go out and, and, and get into the end zone better than you, you have in the past. So, um, you know, and, and that kind of encompasses a lot of different things. Drop passes penalties turnovers you, you know if you make those mistakes over and over again it 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 holds you back when you're already sure. having trouble you already have trouble scoring touchdowns when you're playing clean you can't make those kind of self uh you know self-inflicted errors and still get away with it so they need to avoid the penalties um, which has been a big problem really for the last two seasons or so and then you know score when you get a chance when you get into the red zone and and make sure you stop the running game uh, for Notre Dame, and, and but don't let yourself get uh, too sucked into it and, and give up plays in the pass. Makes sense to me. And, and, <laughs> and the way you mentioned uh, you know, what their kind of philosophy is on defense is the perfect strategy against what we've seen the first four games against Notre, against Notre Dame. So, uh, again, that, that is going to be a fun matchup to watch. Chris, I want to thank you for joining me on the Opponents Insider podcast today. Why don't you let everybody know uh, like your Twitter handle and then where they where fans can find your work. Yeah, I'm at PantherLair, P-A-N-T-H-E-R-L-A-I-R. The website is PantherLair.com. It's Panther-Lair.com, Pittsburgh.Rivals.com. We're part of the Rivals.com network, and, and we cover everything Pitt there, football, basketball, recruiting. We have a lot of free content, a lot of premium content. We have premium message boards. And uh, we're on YouTube as well, youtube.com slash pantherlaircom. It's all one word, pantherlaircom there. And uh, we do lots of you know video previews and podcasts and live streams. We'll have a post-game conversation if uh, Notre Dame fans want to hear what <laughs> Pitt fans are talking about after this game, no matter how it goes on Saturday, we'll have, we'll have that going on. So we got lots of coverage at pantherlair.com, and uh, it's all rolling through the week, and it'll definitely be exciting to see what happens on Saturday. Awesome. Again, that's Chris Peak from PantherLair.com. Next up on Notre Dame's schedule is the second consecutive road game for the Irish as they head to Atlanta to take on the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, and we will talk about that game next Wednesday. So until then, thanks for joining me on the Opponents Insider Podcast.
headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.